I've been asked to, to cover uh, women as public leaders in the in the worship, and uh, Kim would have been here to teach class, but she's busy this morning. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, she wasn't doing it. Anyway, this is uh, what I've been asked to cover, so we'll try to stumble through it this morning as best we can. Um, what we'll be covering is mostly contained uh, in two, two passages, 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, and uh, second, excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. There has been, and I think this is not the news to anybody, a growing movement uh, to have women take leading roles in the church. It started really, I understand, it started in the denominations, and it's something that has really crept its way into the Lord's church. Uh, And I have a couple of things I want to read to you this morning, and and I understand the context of this class is that we won't be able to uh, convict the one who uh, contradicts the, uh, the Scripture. But I also want you to understand how serious of an issue this is for even those that uh, would call themselves churches of Christ. And it's something that we need to be ready to defend because it is uh, pricking into the church. I went online and found, and I, I, I'm, I'll try not to do a whole lot of reading, just reading to you this morning, but I do have a couple of things that I was going to read. Uh, a couple of things that I found online. Uh, one of them is from the Cahaba Valley Church. And I don't know if you're familiar with that group, but being from Birmingham, that's where I've heard the Cahaba Valley used to be Cahaba Valley Church Christ, and they dropped that from their name. Uh, they just call themselves the Cahaba Valley Church. Well, you, know, you can go online and read all about their history. They, they're proud of their history. They came from the Church of Christ, and they, they have. They have grown. They have. Uh, they believe in the autonomy of the, of the local church and and uh, are not afraid to to go out there and, and and challenge things that are traditional ways of thinking. Uh, one of the things that that comes up over and over again uh, is this idea that. Um, each church makes its own decisions and that they need to make the things that are right for the community that they, that they find themselves in. That whatever fits in there is really the way they need to go. One of the things that I found on their website, um, this, they've got quite a long uh, list of things that, that or article that describes their belief on women participating in the worship service. One of the things that it says there, I'll just read to you just a little bit from this. As the message of Jesus reached into communities with its love of God for all human beings, male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and free, the questions were sometimes difficult. The early church, probably by hard experience, had to find out what would make the most sense given the church's context. 
In some instances, women's new freedom so troubled the society that it caused great tension and controversy to the point that the message of the gospel was being overwhelmed by the Fuhrer. In other instances, a new role of women was a welcome change and became a way that the message of God's liberating love was demonstrated to a community. And at other times, it seems that women were perhaps guilty of flaunting their new freedom and were led by some revenge for years of male domination. What the early church did about this varied from church to church. I think hopefully this morning we'll be able to look at some things that 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 uh, what the scripture has to say about that. Also, there's a uh, a website I found: Gender Justice and Churches of Christ. Gender Justice and Churches of Christ. The gender justice in the church. Uh, this is from something from way back in the 80s. Okay, so this is not a new problem. Back in the 1980s. From a congregation near Boston, Massachusetts, Brookline congregation. It says, Brookline seeks to use the gifts God has given us without regard to gender because we have found two distinct imperatives that compel us to do so. The first imperative is clear in the doctrine of creation. God created humankind as equals. Male and female, he created them. On down it says, over the course of history, barriers have slowly fallen in accord with Paul's summary in Galatians 3.28. There's no such thing as Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, for you are all one person in Christ Jesus. The issue is not rights of anyone, but recognizing the unfolding will of God. Secondly, Brookline believes that what we have done in accord with the biblical is in accord with the biblical word. The two passages of Scripture most often referred to on this topic are found in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. We have concluded that these passages and those of a similar nature elsewhere are to be understood in the context of their community. So there it is again. The writers of the New Testament had specific concerns when they wrote the epistles to those building the church and where the circumstances are not replicated, the admonitions do not hold. Paul's words of the Galatians, we are all one in Christ, remains as the final word. Well, I think we can see in that, this is Galatians 3.28, is the go-to passage seems to be for those who would defend this, this practice. If you turn over there, it's familiar, I'll many of us could quote the passage, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But what they say is that this is the presiding rule. This is the thing that we need to hang our hat on. It governs everything that, that we do. In other words, it takes precedent over the scriptures found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Timothy chapter 2. So then the question comes up to, to my mind, what then do we do with 1 with, uh, Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Timothy 2? Well, that's what we're going to look at. See what they do and see what the, the scripture teaches. So let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let me ask a question. Uh, something that I just came to my mind as you were reading that. It seems that they... Uh, uh, want to take the uh, passage in uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3. That, that's something that uh, 
the, the, the passages in chapter in First uh, Corinthians and First Timothy. These have to be considered in in, uh, in the light of uh, or uh, the of the fact that there's no difference between man, man and woman, uh, bond and free, and so forth like that. But <clears throat> as far as the idea of, of uh, uh, the passage in First Corinthians and First Timothy, they are to be taken in the light of of how things are in a particular community. That it would vary from one community to another. The, the fact that uh, the scripture really is supposed to apply to everyone equally doesn't seem to enter into it. Is that, that that is correct. That's exactly right. What they will tell you is that, um, and we'll get into this a little bit as we go along, that the situation that was there at Corinth, and we're about to get into this, was something that Paul had to address. And he tells several people to keep silent. And one of them is is the women. Well, it's... But you have to remember that there's no difference in it. Is that what they're saying? That's right. The, the overall rule, and, and, and even they will say that the, the aim from the beginning was that man and woman were to be equal, male and female. There was no difference between the two from the, from the very beginning. And that's what uh, Galatians 3.28 is, is Paul's statement of where they should go to. This is where we're headed, and we've got to get there. So it seems that they're saying that First Corinthians and First Timothy have to be considered in light of what Galatians said instead of the other way around. That's yeah, true. there's no difference, but right. there are certain stipulations that that uh, apply to men and women that uh, you know, regulate right. what they do in the church. And we'll get into, into that So it's Galatians three twenty-eight has to do with our salvation and not to do with our role, but that they would see it. All right, First Corinthians fourteen verses thirty-four and thirty-five. Simply says the women are to keep silent in the service, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. And one of the things that I think we would agree that Paul is addressing here is some uh, lack of decorum uh, in the way that they would conduct their Worship service. Um, and, and so in, here in this chapter, he tells some people to keep silent. Um, back in, in verse uh, 28, he once speaks, again verse 27, he once speaks in a tongue, it can speak by two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and, it, and one must interpret, but if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. Again in verse 30, the revelation is made to another who is seated. This is talking about uh, those who would uh, prophesy. First one must keep silent. All right, and here in verse 34, the women are to keep silent. Well, one of the things that that um, you run into is that this word for women can also be translated wives. Um, and justice be done to, to the word that is being translated. Well, what they want to do is looking at the context and where they're coming from is that he's been talking about prophets. And so when he's talking about the wives here, it's not just women, it's wives. It's the wives of the prophets. So if, if these uh, husbands are up and they're prophesying, 
that might have a tendency, what they would say, to embolden these women to, be, to speak up from, from the floor, just to say what they've got to say, ask a question, when their husbands were prophesying. My question would be, though, in, in this scripture, says, just as the law also says. What does the law have to say about wives of prophets speaking? Okay, if, you, if, you, if you know something, come to me and tell me, because... I don't know, and I don't think you'll find it either. These verses, going back to what Brother Jackson had to say, have, the, have to me the flavor of Genesis 3.16. And y'all know that scripture very well, where the Lord is, or God is pronouncing the, the judgments on, on Satan and, and the woman and the man, and tells the woman, I will break one by your chain, pain in childbirth, and pain you will bring forth children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Very similar to me. It has the same uh, pace to it because women are to keep silent in churches. They are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves. Paul also says. One of the things that, they, that these who uh, support this, this view would say is that it was, can't be all women that are being addressed. Because, what does it say? It says, let them ask their own husbands at home. Well, is every, does everybody have a husband? Do all women have a husband? No. So, uh, obviously it can't be all women that it's talking about. Well, the thing is that the, the word translated husbands also be translated male. Just like the word for wives or women is interchangeable. Same here. The words are interchangeable. It could also be, be read that you to ask I at home. Whether it's a husband or father or brother or whatever it might be, women are to keep silent and ask the men not to, not to speak up in the church. So we can understand that now that this would be to be understood as a general rule that the women are to ask their men at home not to speak up in the church and ask questions and, and interrupt things that are going on in the church or to, or to leave. The other thing, and this I touched on earlier, ref, that some would say, well, this refers to problems that uh, were in the Corinthian church only. It was specific to that congregation of the Lord's people. And so he was addressing it uh, with the church there at Corinth. said they were having obviously having problems with, with the way they were carrying on their, their worship, uh, there, there was disorder, and so he was addressing that, and he addresses the women uh, here. And that's the reason he had to bring up the fact that the women were speaking. If he, if he brought it up and he taught it there, it would apply everywhere. I don't disagree with you. <laughs> that, that's said, right. It would apply everywhere. Well, that, I, would, I would agree with you, but this is... They're, they would tell you that this was a problem that they had there at Corinth, and so he's addressing it there. You go back to Galatians 3 to get the rule, and this is the exception because of the situation there in Corinth. But my thing is, Paul states that women are to keep silent in Corinth. No. Women are to keep silent in the churches. Okay? It's, it's not uh, just that it's not, there's not a... Uh, the reason given for it is the backing of the law. The law is the reason for it. It's not uh, 
because of the situation that you have there at Corinth. And uh, there's, there's too much talking going on, too much disruption. So we're going to have um, these people keep silent. One of them is going to be the women. I can't speak. Well, if that were the case, why would he use the law? And appeal back to the to the very beginning. Paul never taught anything to apply to just one church. Yeah. Verse thirty. All the church. Verse thirty-three, uh, uh, chapter fourteen. Uh, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all all the churches of the saints. So, whatever applied to one, applied to the other. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> and I, I'm going to be honest with you. I went back, and Brother Walbert had given an excellent two-part lesson about three years ago on this topic. And uh, a lot of things exactly what he put in so I appreciate you saying that. Alright. Well, let's go to, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. One point, John, in the letter there, it says, verse 23, if therefore the whole church come together in one place, so I think the uh, from there, we can understand that it was a That's right. I believe this is, is uh, it is in the, the gathering of the church as such, um, in the worship. I, I would say this is not, not something that applies to, to a class, but when the church has come together um, to worship, yes, that, that, that would be correct. All right. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, say that a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. That I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived, fell into transgression, that women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Go back to this same situation. What you'll be told is that this would apply to problems that Paul was addressing in the early church. The problem that existed then. It was Something that specifically had arisen in the church because of the government that was in control at the time. That for the gospel to be successful in spreading, it had to conform, the church had to conform to the um, ideas, to the culture that was existing at the time. That uh, it would not be proper for women to, to um, think of themselves as equal with men because that just was not the way things were seen in, in, in Rome. And then, too, if, if something different from the norm was being taught and Roman government heard of that, that, that would not go over well either. And some would even say that some of these letters that are, are compiled were not actually written by Paul, but they were almost reminiscent, these, these uh, people who had heard Paul speak, reminiscing and remembering what Paul had taught and, and putting it together. 
going and writing things down that they remembered him, him speaking. And so this was not something that, that uh, uh, in fact, that's one of the things that the Cahaba Valley Church teaches, is that this was not, this is not Paul's actual uh, writing. This is just a compilation of, of the memories that, they, that uh, some men had of what Paul spoke. Well, the problem with this, to me, again, going back to the very beginning, that Paul used creation to support the role that women were given. He goes back to verse 13. In verse 12, he I do not allow women to exercise authority of man, but to be quiet. For it was Adam who was first created. And then he uses the very creation, the very beginning of things, to, uh, to teach that this is the way God had intended it from the very beginning. He also uses the fact that, that, that man was formed first and, and the woman led man into sin. Eve offered Adam fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and he took. She was led astray first and then led Adam to follow. And I make a statement about that. This admission that, or this thought process that um, somehow this is just a compilation of thoughts and it's not what it claims to be is more startling yet because what it means is they don't believe the Bible is the Word of God anymore because if, if these people put this together as memories, and then made it look like that this was a letter, because it explicitly claims to be, both of these claim to be a letter from Paul addressed to these people, as a running narrative from him to them. And if it is not that, then it is a deception. And if it's a deception, and you put together a deception, then what, what part of it would you believe? Because these people are liars. That's exactly right. Because what you do is, if you do that, you are uh, discounting, you can discount pretty much anything that, that Paul Paul wrote. Verse 12, he says, And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man. It, it's a quotation from him. All right? He is saying this. Not, it's not a quotation of something that he said. He's saying, this is what I say That's right. as an apostle. He's, mm-hmm. he's not just saying that I, this is my opinion. He was an official representative, an ambassador, as he referred to in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. So he had the right to say, I say this. It was not just something that they uh, kind of uh, interpreted from something that, or that something he had said and alluded to. The entirety of both of these books is written from the first person. Exactly. written from the third person, that's a lie. Right. You might as well throw them out. That's right. Well, and, and you can go through here, and I'll just glance down at that. Oh, wow. Verse 14 of chapter 3. I am writing these things to you. Paul, in his writing, is very legalistic. He said that I don't write these things out of my mind. I write it out of God's mind. As we noticed uh, in our classes last time, 1 Corinthians 14.37, a favorite passage of mine, because it says that these things that I speak are the words of Christ. I'm just his opinion. That's exactly right. <clears throat> and along those lines, I mean, Greg's point is spot on. But if the Holy Spirit had chosen to take some men and inspire them to recall what Paul had taught and record that for us, that would not in any way lessen the authority of what was recorded and, or lessen the inspiration of it. Because the Gospels are that way. Men, 
But they're presented that way, so Greg's point is spot on. Right. But the authority, that, that does not take the authority away from what is written. Right. But they will tell you that, that there were several books that were written like, like this. Some have been chosen to be included in our New Testament, some not. Where did they get this information, incidentally? <laughs> <laughs> I desire to, to do something different. And humanism, to plug my hair earlier. Well, and to follow along with, with, with Greg's point, this is one of the things that I was going to mention next. If we take this and say, well, this is just a compilation, this is just pulled together from here, there, and yonder, what people remembered about Paul, then we need to throw out what, what, what Paul had written because who can trust it? Well, the other problem is, Paul wasn't the only one who, who held these truths. In 1 Peter 3, Peter reiterates the fact that the, the woman was to be in subjection to the man. Or in this way, let's see. Yeah. Or in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. Just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you would come for children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. So, Peter calls upon the same uh, evidence. He says, they were submissive to the, the women of old were submissive to their own husbands. And you become her children if you do what is right. Talking about Sarah. Where so, in, it, where in the New Testament do we see where, where there's an example of women, prominent women preachers, if you don't see it? That they, there were some that, that knew the word and talked privately mm-hmm. to those that did not know, but not not in the worship services of the Lord. Yeah, there are several things, that, and that's something that I thought of. But uh, the Lord chose twelve apostles who were men. Um, the the ones that uh, we read about doing the teaching were were the men. If it were something that He intended uh, to be otherwise. He was the Lord. Why didn't he? Why weren't there women That's right. traveling around with Paul and, and uh, Silas and Barnabas and all these uh, and sharing in the duties of preaching? Certainly, uh, uh, Priscilla uh, helped to uh, helped Aquila to uh, uh, change uh, Apollos' faulty thinking regarding the baptism of John. So, and uh, but we don't see where Aquila. Uh, preached a sermon or right. there was a the women they talked they talk privately that's right and the, we can go back to the Old Testament even and, and use examples of women who were who um, were wonderful women people who who uh, were prophetesses there was, there was Deborah um, women who play a prominent role in, in the Bible story <clears throat> But it's interesting too when you read about those women, how they are, they are identified. Huldah uh, was identified this way. Deborah was identified this way. They were the wife of. <coughs> uh, whereas when you read about men, it's usually the the, 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 the son of. This, the women were identified as the, the wife of this person. The question that's on my mind <clears throat> maybe they have an answer for this that's coded. Um if Genesis, I'm sorry, if uh, Galatians 3 is the rule, everybody's equal. 
how how are they so comfortable with these examples where the rule is just cast aside, as it obviously is without any regard to the rule in you know First Corinthians and First Timothy? They they just go back to say it was a problem in that specific location, and so Paul allowed it to be so, commanded it to be so there because that was what was expedient for the success of the gospel in that place. And in uh, each case, in all three cases, it, it goes back to the law or to a prior, to give general support for the position taken. Do they even try to deal with that? Not that I, not that I have seen. What, the, what the, I have read and they have learned is that they, they, they will ignore that portion of it and go to, we have learned, we have come to, to understand that this, um, it was to fit in in that place, and we need to do the same thing. Wherever we are is what we need to to, uh, to uh, accept. If we're in a place where women are are uh, most part silent, that's where it needs to be. In a place where women are uh, exerting their their uh, rights to speak up, let it happen because Peter, male and female, and another thing are, comes with qualification. Denomination that when they preach, they they are considered bishops. There's distinct, distinct qualifications for bishops. Ignore that. They, they ignore everything that that, uh, they, that they don't want to hear. Yes, that's right. I think as as we've seen by now that you know really quoting scripture is not going to. At this point, and I think this is the point that we have to make to them that they have really set themselves up above God's word. They put themselves in the position of lawgiver. And that really this is a seamless garment, and they're trying to pick out pieces, but they can't do it. You know, looking at Peter's writings, 2 Peter 3, was it 15, 16, 17, where he speaks about, he says that Paul was writing these things by the wisdom given to him in all of his epistles, all of his letters. Well, if those were fabrications, then Peter was in error. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Peter was fabricated. So if you start tugging at, at Paul, then you start pulling Peter down. Before you know it, you've torn the whole thing down. And that was the point I was going to get to what, what Greg was saying. Was that's exactly right. If you cannot trust what Paul says, and Peter backs it up, then what do you do with Peter? That's right. And you have to go back to John 14.26 and 15.26 and throw Jesus out, because he said the Holy Spirit was going to lead them into all truth. But once you've taken that step, like to answer some of the other questions about, well, how would they deal with the fact that we don't see this? Well, at this point, they've already proven they're more than willing to put context around what they see and use that to transcend and override. So the fact that the apostles were all men, well, that's no problem. In their culture, it would have been very difficult for women to travel alone. So they start to have answers for all these things because they can put a context around it right. and use that to override everything. That's exactly right. If you, if you put everything, if you say, well, if that's the way it was then and it doesn't apply to us now, then, then you're using a whole thing. Friends, I've got one uh, comment I'd like to make. It goes a long time with what Farrell uh, was saying. also ties in with what Farrell go about uh, verse uh, 37 of first Corinthians. Uh, nobody's mentioned verse 38 uh, yet, but I think this verse 38 is tied to this in the tenth verse. But verse 37 says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritually in the knowledge of the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord, then in verse 38 he says, But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. 
And uh, footnote in my Bible there says, if anyone does not recognize this, that is, that, uh, that Paul is writing his commandments, then he's not to be recognized with anything he's going to say. That's exactly right. That's, that, matter of fact, verse 38, you American standard, but if, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Recognize anything he says. If he doesn't recognize what uh, Paul has said there in verse we and I think that ties to people that are teaching that women should be up there taking uh, preaching and whatever. Uh, they shouldn't be recognized. Yes, sir. This quarter, uh, we've seen where James is thrown out, church breaking is thrown out. Well, once you start, you don't. Yeah. I think we see the danger in taking one verse without taking the context. Again, that's, that was taught. It's been taught here for a long time. You've got to look at the context where that scripture's at. And when we teach someone, we have to know the context also that it's talking about. So in our, our dealings with people, if we just go by quoting a verse without really tying it into the context, we could make the scripture say what we want them to say. So one thing to keep in mind when we teach folks is that we take the whole context and not do as, as others do and just to pull a verse out here and there. But we have to know what that says, and we have to know know why it says that. Um, I think what I understand, most denominations of people I talk with, that's pretty much how they start. They go by what this verse says and spread off from that without any consideration of the context that's there. So we, we, we have to be really careful on that part of it within our teaching also. So we don't just quote a scripture, but we know what the scriptures say. Right. They, they want to bring in the context of the situation they were in without bringing in the context of the, of the word. That's exactly right. I'll take one other quick. You mentioned that, Deborah and Holda. Uh, I think those are important to look at because they do give us some insight as to how women did and can uh, operate and how they can teach and be in those cases, as you mentioned, they're taught by their husbands. But also, in each of those cases, they had some home, whether it was Deborah under the tree or it was Holda at her house, and men came to them to seek their guidance. I think, well, they hear those names and they assume that they're up in front of the whole assembly preaching, but we never see that in the scriptures. Instead, what we see is they're at their houses and men come to them and seek their advice instead of them being in a position of authority and telling men what to do and what God says directly and commanding them. And Deborah specifically comes to mind in that instance to me, just in just familiarity. Yes, she was under the oak tree that they came to her, and then she sent word as to what was to be done. And Bayrak uh, said, "I won't go unless you go with me." And that was she thought that improper. Okay, that's all right. I'll go, but because you didn't do it, the the uh, glory is going to be given to a woman. It was not something that was was proper. Uh, it was something that she saw as, as this is this is something you should take care of. I'm not going out to lead the army. You are. No, stay back. She wouldn't. You know, excuse me. That's all right. Um, just kind of along the bullet that you have there, that it's it's not intended to humiliate women. We need not we need not get in that role of mode of thinking. Uh, Deuteronomy 22 five says that um, a woman should not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor should a man put on a woman's garment. So there are distinct characteristics and roles of a man and a woman. Um, you know, for example, I think Lee dresses beautifully, but I wouldn't wear what she wears. Uh, so it's not that 
It's not that it's um, that it's that's a humiliating role. It is a that's role. exactly right. And from the and beginning of time, and no less important. No less important, and there are examples of <coughs> important things. All right. It would also be difficult for people to uh, say that well, they couldn't uh, travel around like the men did, and so forth. Uh, in Acts 15, uh, surely there were women that were brilliant or knew the scripture uh, in the church in uh, in Jerusalem. But who do we see doing the speaking? We see Peter. We see James. Uh, but we don't see any of the women. Being well, you could use the example go back to the Old Testament. Miriam. Why did she not leave Israel? She may have been just as smart or smarter than, than, than Moses, but um, she was not given that role. The wives were those apostles that were married. I guarantee you they knew the scripture. Well, but yet we have no record of where they ever Real quickly, uh, Galatians 3, let's look at it real quick. Galatians 3, what is being talked about in chapter 3 is the intent of what was to be understood from the law. Um, the Galatian brethren obviously had a problem with this, what the law was for, were they still to be using the law. And it's in that context that this, the statement is made that uh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. Um, it was not intended to address the role of of men or women, but rather to uh, address their uh, standing with with the Lord. That they had received the same uh, salvation, whether they were man man or woman, or they were Jew or Greek, they had received the same thing. They had become heirs of the promise that was made to Abraham. Just the same. No different there. The role is different, but the promises are not. Yes. Onesimus, the right way to pronounce it, Philemon, he was still a slave, even though he was. Right. Women do teach. They teach when they're saying older women ever teach younger women, you know. They can teach. They can teach the, the that's exactly right. The older women are, are, are admonished to, to teach the younger. And uh, it can teach women. It goes on here, teach uh, young classes. Um, and this is the, the final point I have there. Men and women are equal and have equality in their salvation. That does not mean that our role is the same. No better, no worse. It's just not the same. We are, we're all equal in Christ, no matter what your role in the church is, whether you preach or teach or whatever. Uh, whether you're man or woman, we're equal in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we have, don't have different roles in the church. Right. We do. There are different roles that done that, that played out in the church. And that really, and I think Paul's point is that reminds us of what happened from the very beginning. That uh, he created man first. And woman was to be a help me for him. That's not, uh, not meant to be uh, for that woman. It's just... That was the word of the things from the very beginning. Look at Philippians 2. You know, Jesus is equal to the Father. But yet he clearly submitted himself. He, it says very clearly in Philippians 2 that the quality of the Father was not something for him to grasp, where he could not consider it robbery. It was something that belonged to him that he already had. But yet he submitted himself. Were they not equal? 
No, there, there was a difference in role, but they're equal. And again, look at Jesus submitting himself and washing the feet of the apostles. John 13. Was he uh, lesser because he was submitting to them? But it's a complete misunderstanding of Christianity. The, the greater is the one who serves. That's right. That's right. Well, that's what I've got. That's quick. One class. <laughs> of that topic. I appreciate your comments. Thank you.